2: Welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. In this episode, I'm speaking with Claire Tokyu, the victim of a brutal house burglary. Claire and her son were attacked by burglars who broke into their farmhouse by removing roof slates and climbing in through the roof. They were both tied up and helpless as the thieves stole their property. One of the burglars was eventually caught when DNA found at the scene matched his profile, which led to his arrest. Despite the trauma Claire suffered, she agreed to meet her perpetrator in prison. This meeting was carefully organised as part of a restorative justice process. At the time Claire agreed to meet him, there was only one thing on her mind. Revenge. So just by way of introduction, for my audience who will not be familiar with Meet the Burglars, some of them might, but Meet the Burglars was a BBC Panorama documentary that I made 10 years ago where I I had a look at how the restorative justice practice works within the criminal justice system. And then for anybody who's not familiar with restorative justice, it's where um, the harm caused to victims of crime um, get a chance. I mean, that's how I would describe it, Claire. They they get a chance to either, you know, meet the people who committed, you know, the perpetrators or, or, or the criminals who committed crimes or the person who committed harm to somebody else. And it comes in all different shapes and sizes. And so that's where Claire and I first met 10 years ago when I was making this documentary titled Meet the Burglars. It involved other cases, but Claire's case stood out above those cases. And um, I've reached out to Claire 10 years later to ask her to come on the podcast to share with the audience her story. And um, I'm not one to regurgitate people's past and traumas and challenges. But I know when I met you, Claire, you were such a strong person. I've no doubt that. um, And when you shared your story back then, uh, I was inspired by someone like yourself who was prepared to come face to face with somebody who calls you and your family such harm. So thank you for coming on to the podcast, Claire.
0: You're welcome.
2: My first question is obviously, how are you today? It's been 10 years since we made that documentary where you shared your story and talked about the traumas. How is life for you today? What are you doing in your life today?
0: Very hectic, very busy. But yes, uh, I've got there, but it's been a struggle, to be fair. You know, uh, suffering with stress and it's it it actually I'd say it really did change me as a person even today yeah yeah I would say even today yes yeah yeah I have to keep myself busy yeah it was very very traumatic but yes life still goes on you do manage to uh put a brave face on on days where you're not feeling it but yeah life goes on it has to it
2: has and, to and, and what is your life I mean what do you do on a day-to-day basis at the moment
0: I've still uh got the cattery it's very been a very successful business we're very busy uh with the cats me son's sure jumping at very high level so we're very, very busy looking after animals on a daily basis, on a daily basis, traveling up and down the country, show jumping. Yeah, it's good. It's good.
2: That's nice to hear. People will be wondering what, what we're talking about, you know, what is Claire's story? So tell me your story, Claire. I, I, I met you 10 years ago, but it happened a few years before I met you. Um, so it was quite raw, quite fresh. Mm-hmm. Please share with my audience what happened to you all those years ago.
0: Well, we was burdled, but in a very vicious way. Uh, My son was nine years of age at the time. Uh, I'd been to work. We'd come home. It was a Friday night. I'd put my son to bed. I'd let him watch telly because it was Friday and he wasn't at school. The next day, five Romanians came through the the slates off the roof of the house, came through the loft, went upstairs, tacked my son, tied him up, gagged him, dived on me in bed, uh, did the same to me, uh, and they had a 12-inch blade at my son's throat saying they'd kill him if I didn't give him money.
2: They came through the roof, I mean.
0: Yeah, they took the tiles off the roof and let the self in that way, let the self in through the loft hatch and then dropped into the house. Very, very bad. But like I say, life does go on and, yeah, it's been a struggle. But we're there and we're still doing and we're here to tell the story, which is a good thing. And I think with you saying about the restorative justice, that just helped me amazing. That was the best thing for me. And after, after I did go to the prison and meet him, I did quite a bit of work with uh, youth offenders. And I was a speaker at a big conference, you know, because the restorative justice, I think, is not spoke about enough or not heard. People are not knowledgeable about it. But it really does, it really, really does help in in a big way it did for me well, something traumatic happens like that You know, the police was absolutely amazing you know and then when it gets to the time to get into court well you're never heard you you as a person as a victim you're never heard you never get to speak you know and he pleaded guilty at court you you don't get to speak you don't get to ask questions so yeah, I went in there and asked everything that I, I wanted to know.
2: Before we get on to the restorative justice details, I I just want to take you back to the the night of the crime. So we've got these burglars coming through your roof. They've your your nine year old son, they've taken out of bed and they've tied him up and gagged him and they've what? Brought him into the room where you are sleeping. Yes. Yes. I mean I'm trying to I want people to understand the gravitas of how how fear must have engulfed you, um, not just for yourself, but seeing your son in that situation. It's got to be everybody's worst nightmare who's a parent, but also anybody. Just talk me through what happened from that moment. I mean, what did they take? How long were they? uh, And what happened to you, Claire?
0: Well, I was asleep in bed and I woke up. We had a little chihuahua, MJ, and he was barking. So I thought... Demir was actually playing with the dog. Uh, and as I sat up in bed to say, what are you doing? There was a man lay at the side of my base of the bed. Then he dived up and dived on me, started to punch me. Obviously, I fought back as best I could till I got one blow, which knocked me out cold. And then I came back round them with them sat on top of me, taping me up. And I could just hear my son, I mean, his mouth was all taped up, saying, stay still, mummy, stay still, they've got a knife, they're going to kill us. And they dragged him into my bedroom uh, and he was sat there against the wardrobes all taped up. But he was like sort of trying to talk through the tape, stay still, mummy, stay still, they've got a knife, they're going to kill us
2: such a frightening scenario what did the burglars do after that so they subdued you and your son you're both taped up and tied up
0: what- yeah yeah uh and then they once they'd got me taped up they tied a the night around my head and then taped it round so I couldn't see but I, I could actually see out of one side and they tried rolling me over onto my stomach But at that stage, I I don't know, I just thought it was rape and I thought I was going to be raped in front of my child. But obviously, they tied my legs up that tight. I thought they was going to rape me from behind. And my son was there and, you know, they tried rolling me, but don't ask me how they couldn't. My body just went rigid. I just kept thinking, no, this can't happen. But, uh, yeah, then they just ransacked the house. The, the, an hour, I think there was in about an hour and 20 minutes, actually. They totally ransacked the house. You know, nothing was, uh, there wasn't a drawer left shut, if you like. Everything was pulled out, all the wardrobes, the kitchen, the office, everything. And then they took my son downstairs asking him to show him where the CCTV cameras was. So they cut the tape off his legs. And walked him downstairs they punched him as well actually at one stage yeah very very bad but you know like I say we're here to tell the story and uh,
2: when, when your son after they found the CCTV they left at some point they must have left but you and your son were still tied up at this stage
0: yes no they actually brought him back upstairs at one point but why they'd taken him away I tried rolling round to see if, you know, there were some nail scissors on the floor. They'd emptied the drawers to see if I could, like, from behind. My hands was tied behind my back. My legs was taped up. My mouth was taped up. So I I was, like, rolling around the bedroom floor trying to see if I could find some scissors or, you know, nail scissors to cut the tape. But I, I didn't manage it. Anyway, they brought Mia back up, and they there was rummaging in other rooms then. And the television was on, but to me his legs was free at the time, so I said to him, you know, walk over to the telly and try to turn the telly off. So I need to listen for your dad coming home because he was out at work. And then I was more feared for my son and my husband, actually. It's a motherly instinct that just, you know, the only thing I was worried that stage, I wasn't worried about myself, I was just worried about my son you know, being a mother and not being able to hold your child when you know that the, you know, if your child if your child runs out onto a drawing pin, goes to stand on it, you automatically put your arms out to snatch him back and save him. You know, so not being able to hold him or you know comfort him or keep him safe, that was the biggest. That was the biggest thing for me. But uh, I told him to wrap himself around me. You know, I couldn't hold him, so I, I told him to wrap wrap himself around me. They they must have taken the tape off his mouth as well at this stage, because then I, I asked him to start chewing the tape off my legs. So Demir started to chew the tape off my legs. Uh, yeah, it was just
2: bad. It was bad. Had had the burglars. I'm sorry to to. No, it's
0: okay. It's okay. make
2: you feel emotional. No, no, it's okay. But I'm sure, you know, those emotions and those memories will never leave anybody when you go through that kind of traumatic experience. And I hear you when you talk about, you know, how vulnerable you felt for your for your son. And I'm sure, you know, people who have loved ones, children, partners, husbands, wives, would feel exactly the same, absolutely helpless in such a, a, a terrifying situation. When when your son was trying to bite through the tape that was tied on your legs, had the burglars left at this stage? Did you feel safe enough to try and make your escape?
0: No, no. They were still in the house. They were downstairs at that stage. Yeah, so he was trying to chew the tape and I was trying to stretch my arms. They tied me hands behind me back with a mobile phone charger wire and then they taped it with the boxing tape as well and then the the next thing I heard my husband shout Claire you know so I knew he was home so I'm screaming through the tape run run they've got a knife they'll kill you I know how brutal he was with me you know they punched me like a a punch bag if you like the same with my son so you know what are they gonna do to a man you know so it was definitely overpowered because there was too many so I'm shouting through the tape run run they've got a knife but he didn't realize he walked into the house from work and the office is straight facing the main door he'd seen things ripped out but I'm always hands-on. So he thought something had gone wrong with the CCTV and I've pulled everything out to start fixing it. And then I, he he realised then, and he thought it was like just not a, a burglary. I don't know. It's hard when you're in that situation. He ran outside, wrapped some chains around his hands, thinking they was going to come running out of the back door. But they must have just fled as he, as he's come home. The lights have shone through the windows, and I think that's when they've fled. Then
2: that's your husband pulling up in his car, is obviously scared them off.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: it must have been. And I'm sure you can't speak for how your husband felt at the time. Um, again, helpless when he saw you and your son in the state that you were in at the time. He he managed to, to oh, terrible, yeah,
0: terrible. Yeah,
2: what was his reaction?
0: just find who they are and I'll go to prison for them. And, you know, I think if any, if, if, I think he would have, he'd have been locked up now if he'd have managed to get his hands on them. And I think that comes from any husband or father, you know, and even mother, you know, it's just horrific. It's horrific, you know, that people can, you know, just take what they want when they want, the damage that they do, you know, I I went and visited him in prison and I took photos of my house and I said, do you think you're hard done to because the door gets locked every time you walk through it? My house is like a prison. You know, I, I've got grills up at all my windows around the back. You know, I look out through bars every day. You know, it, it, it does, it affects you badly. You know, you do, you carry on and you have to, you have to carry on.
2: I'm going to walk you through that, actually, so I can keep it in that kind of chronological, because it's it's so interesting to see how you react to such a scenario, because you've described the trauma that you, your son and your husband have gone through. The burglars have fled. No doubt you called the police. The police came and they carried out their investigation. How were the police with you and what did they discover? I mean, what did you find out as the, the days and weeks moved on? Because no doubt that the criminals themselves or some of them were at least caught. So how informed were you as the victim in this case, Claire?
0: The police was absolutely amazing. I couldn't sing the praises enough. They was very good. They kept me very well informed. They kept me very well informed. It was amazing. They, uh, two, I think it was approximately two weeks after they'd arrested one. One got arrested. Uh, he bit the tape, what they tied us up with, so his DNA was on that. He's obviously been in trouble before. They knew then who the group was, but they never got brought to justice.
2: So it was just the one guy who left DNA in your house that they were able to apprehend. Yes. And he was the one who, when he went to trial, pleaded guilty.
0: Yes. Yes. Do
2: you know what he was sentenced to?
0: He was sentenced to false imprisonment, burglary with intent, if I'm right. And he got sentenced 18 years. But his charges, so there must have been three charges brought towards him. So it was six years for every charge. But then that's to run concurrent. So that got halved. And then the time that he'd spent already locked up before it went to court. And I wrote to the Home Office and said, you you know, if these people can't come into our country and be respectful. You know, and we can't put our children to bed at night in your own home and be safe. They shouldn't be allowed in the country. And I I didn't believe he should be serving his sentence in our country. He got uh, charged as a juvenile. They knew he was 23 years of age. He was a Romanian gypsy. So he was married with, uh, I think, a two-year-old child himself. It was 23. They knew that, but they couldn't actually prove it.
2: So he was tra- ch- um, tried as a minor under 18?
0: Yes, yes.
2: And that would have reduced the amount of s- sentence yes. or years that he was sent to prison for?
0: Yes. Yeah, it did. And the judge, on the day of the uh, sentencing, his words to him was, you've been presented to me as a juvenile but I do have big reservations about your age but there was nothing he could do about it high judging of a, a crown court he in he knew he wasn't of the age he said he said you know but this is the way I have to sentence you so he went to youth offenders
2: one of the guys were apprehended and you said there were about five so the other four were, were never brought to to justice, if justice can ever be brought in a case like this, you know, how do you bring justice to a nine year old and his mother being tied up in you having to witness what you witnessed and, and go through? You know, there can't be many more worst case scenarios. But they brought one of the guys to justice. He pleaded guilty. He got 18 years, run consecutive, et cetera, et cetera. And things went wrong there. During this time, were you able to attend the trial? Was that the first time you got to see the individual who was responsible for what happened to you and your son and your husband, your family? And and how was you feeling during this period? Because no doubt, straight after this trauma, you've got to rebuild your life. And I, like you say, you know, as time went on, you had bars and you were almost imprisoning yourself to protect yourself. So that must have been a really tough time. Just talk me through a little bit of that, Claire.
0: Yeah, uh, once they uh, arrested him, uh, I think every so many weeks, if I remember rightly, every four weeks, I think they have to go back to court just to keep him retained in prison. So every court hearing, anything that was going on, I went to. I, I went to. That's that's the first time that I saw him stood in that court when they was uh, putting an order to keep him in. Then. Obviously, at the court hearing, the sentencing—that's the—that's f- probably the first time that I'd seen him properly, if you like. No, it's—he looked, without sounding disrespectful in any way, you know, rough, a bit trodden down and everything. But when I did the restorative justice and went to the prison, he was a picture of health. It was a. It looked like he'd been weight training. You know, he, he he looked a lot better. He couldn't speak English the night of the uh, the attack happened. He could speak English when I went to the prison, so he'd obviously been educated and doing well for himself. And then, to be fair to him, which I didn't think I could ever say that about someone like that. But he did say to the police after my visit, he did give all the names that he was with that night.
2: So, but before he, we get there, I just want to keep, keep, keep moving this story as it, as it happened. So after he pleaded guilty, got sentenced, how did you first hear about restorative justice? And, and how was you first approached? Or did you make the first approach? Because I can imagine for some people, the last thing they want it's to meet the perpetrator or the person who calls them or their family harm. Um, but you didn't take that, that approach, at least in the end, I don't know. So how did it first come about that you were offered this or you took this opportunity to, to meet your, your perpetrator?
0: A lady approached us uh, the courts on the day of the sentencing and because he, he was sentenced as, as a youth, I think it, she was from the youth offending team, and she approached me and asked if she could uh, come round and visit me. She came round to the house and she explained everything, and I said yes, yeah, definitely get me in there because my intentions wasn't to go in, and I, I would. My intentions, as crazy as it sounds, but but with what happened, you know, it makes you crazy. So my thought process wasn't at night going to bed, you know, dreaming about lying on a nice beach and eating nice food and sitting in the sun. My thought process was: I want to catch these and I want to kill them, and and I visualise what I would do to them when I got them, and and that's the way that's that was my thought process every night. Revenge. Really you
2: wanted revenge. I, I
0: wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him absolutely killing there was nothing nothing in my mind I was prepared to kill him I could have et him like Hannibal the cannibal I was that that what he'd done to me Chat wasn't about me it was about my child and what and and it doesn't just stop at me my husband and you know it's his sister she's married it's my mother it's my friends it ripples out You know, it's like the ocean. It just ripples out. It affects so many people. You know, they've got to look at me, see me suffering. You know, it doesn't just stop at my household. It's rippled out, you know, to the community. Yeah, so, no, all I wanted to do, I I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him. So when this restorative justice came about and I spoke with it about my husband and my family and they said, oh, no, 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 you know, and my husband said, no, I cannot sit in front of him. You know, I I would kill it. I could not do it. I couldn't do it. So my family was against it and said, it's not going to do you any good. But if that's the route you want to go down, we're all here to support you. So my eldest sister, she came along to the meeting. She didn't agree with it, you know, uh, she, and I think, to be fair, I think she found it harder than me. She she couldn't look at him. She couldn't speak to him. She, she found it really hard, really hard.
2: Just before you get into the detail of what happened when you visited this individual, You say, you know, you were so angry and so hell-bent on seeking some kind of revenge, um, and at night that's all you thought about. Did the social workers or whatever they're called, the restorative justice practitioners, trainers, did they see through that, Claire? Or was you determined to hoodwink them so that they felt that they were serving both you and the perpetrator? Or were they able to sort of gradually convince you, or did you convince yourself that your motive was just not practically going to be possible. I don't know. Tell me.
0: Yeah, no, no. Yes, you know you're 100% right in what you're saying because they they come round and they give you sessions and my sister was there and they prep you and you can't do this and you can't do that, you know, and I said, listen, I'll say what I want. You know, uh, there was. I realised if I went in there with the after, if I would if I told them I was going in there with the attitude and the feelings that I'd got, I wasn't getting in. So, no, I kept it stunned. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. You know, but and in my head, all I had is when I get in there, I don't care who's there or what. And I, I visualized just chewing his face off, spitting his nose out of my mouth, as daft as that sounds. And but you know, they are the thoughts that I had. I had every intention, and and I didn't think, I didn't think. I would behave the way I did when I got in there.
2: And how did you behave when you got in there? And where did you go to meet this individual?
0: To the prison. It was. Uh, we went to the prison. There was obviously security there. There was an interpreter there, and there was the youth offending team there as well. You know, so it was a very organised, professional setup, if you like. Had um, you
2: ever been inside a prison before?
0: No. No. Nope.
2: God, what a moment. I mean, um for for different reasons here you are the victim of a, a traumatic offense both your son and your husband and as you say the ripple effect it had on your wider family and the community and, and here you are brave enough to step inside the prison where the perpetrator who well, one of them who committed this crime you were prepared to come face to face with that individual Abbott, you you know you had the desire to bite his nose off and spit it in his face. How was you feeling on the day, you know, as you were walking through those gates, if you like, into the prison to meet this individual?
0: Uh, I just felt I wanted to kill him so much. I, I couldn't wait to get near him. I, I I just wanted to I just wanted to kill him. You know, I'd watch my son suffer panic attacks, noises, anything, you know, and I just I still didn't feel I still didn't feel any better the day that I went there. But as soon as I got in there, and he couldn't look me in the face. So it was as though the only way I could describe it. I was like a balloon with the air out of it. And as much as I tried to blow myself back up, I couldn't. I just couldn't get there. You
2: were deflated by what?
0: Totally def- by, I think, you know, what... I'd- obviously gone on it just deflated me in such a way I just couldn't get myself back up and then when I went in there and he obviously sat there looked a picture of health couldn't believe how good he did actually look there was an interpreter there just as well in case he couldn't get things across but his English was was quite good to be honest and he he couldn't look at me so I'm, I said to him, you was brave enough on the night to look me in the face. Turn around and look me in the face now. Look at the pain that you have caused. So he sort of looked up. But then I could feel myself coming back up. I was, I was taking control then. Uh, I said, look at me, fa- remember me face. Remember this face because one day you will see it again. And... I found out actually where he lived. I found out where he lived. So I said, you know where I live. I said, I also know where you live now, where your family lives, your mother, your children, your wife. I gave him his address. Uh, and as I, I was getting my power back, and and he, it was him then shrinking, you know, and then I, I just looked at it. It went on for a good few hours because I asked questions had they been to the house before? There was I had lots and lots of questions I needed to ask. I needed, I needed closure on
2: certain things. Like uh, what? Like what? For example,
0: like had they been watching the house? Who put them onto the house? Why my house? Lots of different bits it might sound irrelevant, but when you're in that situation the questions you ask yourself: Well, why did they come me? You know, as somebody put them onto it you know it's, there's lots of little questions that you probably wouldn't even think of and you, is irrelevant probably irrelevant it is irrelevant but when you're in that situation you're asking yourself all these little bits of questions
2: and did you get the answers that you went in there seeking
0: yes I did yes I did
2: so he was quite open quite frank quite direct and answered all the questions I yeah. suppose that's what restorative justice is yeah. about it's about yeah. You being able to get the answers that you couldn't in the court because he That's pleaded right. guilty, so you were distanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so how soon after you'd gone into that room, had this desire to bite his nose off to kill him? Uh, you say it's interesting now you say you become empowered, that the role had reversed when you were being tied up and overpowered by this guy and his individuals in your home, but now you were in control, and that was important, was it clear?
0: I didn't go in thinking that that was important, but it just, I can't tell you, it's the strangest thing ever, because if some mother or father told me that they sat in front of somebody that had done such damage to the child, the home, whatever, whoa, you know, there's no way I'd be sat in front of him, definitely not. You know, and to be fair, I had hold of my chair. I had to hold on to my chair and it took all my strength to stay sat down. You know, I, did, it, I didn't go in there like half-hearted, far from it. You know, it was a tough thing to do, but I did it. Uh, and as I was in there and as the meeting was going on, it's as though I could feel like her oh, coming back up. I was feeling more myself. Now he's in the vulnerable situation. It was, it, it's the restorative justice is so powerful and turn and the table just turned when I was in there. And I just took one look at him and I said, You know, for the last two years, you've took my thoughts up, my everyday life. I said, But look at you, you're a nobody, you're a nothing. Why am I? Why are my thoughts taken up by you, and it—it's strange how it works. It and and it did, and I, and I sort of thought you're not worth my thoughts anymore. You're not worth me getting into trouble for. And the restorative justice is very, very powerful.
2: So very, it worked in in ways that you didn't expect it to to work.
0: I came out to there. And I walked out of that prison and I think it was the first time in two years, I had a genuine smile on my face. A genuine smile. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. It gave me, I don't know, it it gave me my life back. It gave me nice thoughts back. He'd gone then. Not gone as such, it's always gonna be there, but that was that was the time for me. To say, right, come on, Claire, you know, start thinking about sitting on the beach. It's so powerful, so so powerful.
2: Did did he apologise? Did he um I don't know if apologize is the right kind of thing you want, but like you say, you came out of there and you felt like the old Claire, at least you could you could get on with your life and feel less Whatever it is you feel less of, but you could at least move forward, yeah, but did you get the apology? Did, was you seeking an apology? Did that help?
0: No, I wasn't seeking an apology, as you've just said, no apology could ever amount and and I didn't want to know why he did it. I know why he did it, obviously doesn't want to get up in the morning and work for his money like everybody else has to. No one has to give me them answers he did He did apologize which that means nothing to me, that that doesn't mean anything to me. I didn't want to know why he did it or an apology, to be honest, because, you know, they're just words. But as he came out of the meeting, he did break down and say to the youth offending team, I must be such a bad person, what I've done to that family. I don't think he realised the extent of the damage that he'd caused. I think that's another thing as well. I think the criminals, what go out and do acts like this, I don't believe that they see the robbery or anything that they're doing harm to people. And the other way I can explain that is that if they was riding past, say, a house and they said, oh, I robbed that house last night, Or I robbed that building last night, it's never that person. It's never that person, is it? Oh yeah, we broke into there. But they don't I don't think they they really look at the damage they're doing to the people that live there. Well, we didn't do any harm, we just pinched the keys or you know, but it's not about just say having your keys pinched. It's about people coming into your house and that, how that makes people feel insecure after. You know, just minor little, minor little things can cause so much stress. But I don't think these offenders realise the damage they're doing to a person.
2: The connection, it's so interesting. When you came out of that prison and you felt, i I use the word empowered, Obviously, it was just you, your your husband, your son had been traumatized by the experience has had the extended family. Were you able to take what what you learned, what you was able to to discover or, you, you know, feel better about, think differently about? Was you able to take that and share it with your son to make him feel any better? And your husband and your family was what you discovered helpful for them.
0: Well, yes, because then it made, I was a happier person. I was a bit more content within myself. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I, I can't promote restorative justice enough. I really can't. I did quite a bit of work after that uh, with the youth offending team about the restorative justice, you know, and I sat with many youths you know, saying right, you burdled this house, but what about the people in it? You know, what about the people? And and they did, they didn't, they just didn't realise that the damage they were doing. A lot of them didn't, to be fair.
2: I'm sure it's really powerful, and your testimony has prevented others becoming victims because I'm sure on many occasions your emotional story, the trauma you went through, and and, and coming out the other end of the restorative practice made them realise we're talking about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago when when this happened. And, And when you reflect on the impact it had on your son, even now, understandably, you still get emotional. Even now you still get emotional, shed a tear, and it still conjures up that pain that makes you feel slightly helpless from that moment, reflecting on that moment. How have you and your son and your husband coped over the last few years? I mean, You said at the beginning of the interview that you're moving forward, you know, things have been tough. And this is another important thing for perpetrators, you know, burglars to to realise, you know, when they think about this, the consequences don't just end overnight, they go on. Your trauma will live with you, your memories will live with you forever. How are you coping today?
0: Yeah, good. Like you say, it's always there. It's never going to go away, you know. And, you know, if you start to think about it, Yeah, you shed the tears, you still shed the tears, you you know, but we've all got to be proud of ourselves for getting through this and still carrying on. I'm still in the same property as well. You know, at the time I thought, no, I need to move. And then I thought, no, why should these, because of this, drive me out of my house and everything I've built up? So, yeah, we're still in the same household. It's made me... I wouldn't say a stronger person but I can't tolerate a a lot of petty things anymore you know you realize there's such bad crimes going on in the world and when you hear people bickering over silly little things and in one way it's probably mellowed me in one way to a certain extent you know I might have you Know, started. Uh, why is, why is the kitchen not tidy? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> it no, doesn't that's matter. understandable. And how how is your son? I mean, it's been 10 years on. Do you see, has there been any long lasting effect? I mean, no doubt he witnessed something that kids of his age shouldn't be witnessing or experiencing, etc. How has he coped and how is he coping today?
0: He's coping, you know, but even to today, as we speak. He can have panic attacks. He's not confident about walking out anywhere in the dark. He wouldn't. He wouldn't even dream of doing anything like that. Yeah. No. I, I think he suffers more than me, if I'm being honest. He had counselling till he was 18. He went to CAMS till he was 18. Yeah. He, it's still very much scarred him. Definitely. On an everyday basis, you wouldn't know it, but you know, as a mother, I know it, he's very good at, he's very good at hiding it, you know, if you ask him to go out at the back and it's a bit later on that he wouldn't walk out on his own.
2: Do you ever talk about it together? Are you able to sort of, or, or do you put it? Yeah, yeah,
0: we, yeah, we have, yes, we've spoke about it, you know, and I've told him how amazing he is and, you know, people say, oh, he was really scared to death, you know, I said, you've, you've, Witness fear that no one will probably ever witness in their lifetime, you know, so nothing else can phase you really. You've got to be strong and you've just got to uh, put it behind you. You know, it's always going to be there. There's no, no one can wave a magic wand and take it away and there's going to be certain things that trigger it off, which that does happen quite a bit with him. If he sees a certain gloves, you know, we've been places and he's seen a man, like, with a certain pair of gloves on and it'll trigger him off because he remembers them coming at him with them gloves. If he went to a place where there was a lot of uh Romanians, if he went on a curry mile or anything or shopping in, in Manchester, Cheetah Mill, he, he won't go there. He has panic
2: attacks. It's not fair. It's just not fair, is it? And and what about the perpetrator? I mean, after that day you went in and visited him or took part in the restorative encounter, have you heard, seen, had any contact with the perpetrator again?
0: No, no. And I wrote to the Home Office when he was in prison saying, like, he shouldn't be in this country, he shouldn't be serving his sentence in this country. They they wrote to him and I said he should be deported. Maybe if he gets deported, then his family will follow. So they went into the prison. They did put to him, you know, about deportation and he accepted. So he actually only did two years in prison. He accepted the deportation. So he was put on a plane, which I thought he would finish his sentence off in his own country. But he didn't. He got put on a plane and sent home. And they informed me that they kept me in touch. That's that's what happened. I didn't realise, like I said, that he wasn't going in prison in his own country. So he was a free man. And then after 10 years, he's allowed to come back into this country. Really? Yes. Yeah.
2: So now, So, 10- so now he could be in the UK or he would be allowed back in the UK 10 years have passed Mm
0: -hmm. 10 years
2: that seems pretty incredible the the title of my podcast is second chance and i as I listen to you Claire and I, I I kind of wonder where does second chance come into this or does it at all I mean did you give this individual a second chance at explaining why they did did your coming out of that restorative justice session provide you with a second chance in becoming Claire again Do you think there is a second chance in your story? And if so, where where is it?
0: A second chance for me or for him?
2: That's what I'm asking. Did you get a second chance out of this by by meeting your perpetrator? Do you think that afforded you a second chance? Did you give him a second chance? Uh, I I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out because it feels to me like you were able to embrace the second chance in the sense that by meeting this perpetrator, belittling him, seeing him reduced to a prisoner empowered you to be clear again, or at least a bit of clear again. So it gave you a second chance, but he didn't give you, you took back your second chance by a grin. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out yeah. or whether you gave him a second chance or even by participating in the restorative justice practice that you have shown that restorative justice works and it gives everybody a second chance. Um, If only to get answers, it gave you a chance to get the answers that you couldn't get in a court because he pleaded guilty and there was no hearing, no explanation as to why, what happened to you, happened to you.
0: I, I think I'd give everybody out there a chance by going in the, not for him, I didn't go in the... For him to do get anything reduced, it wasn't to benefit him, but if I could save him from repeating this crime, I'm saving some innocent person like myself and and i I really do believe to a certain extent I did that. I do believe I did that because he was so disgusted within himself. So if he if he doesn't go out again and commit another crime, my visit to that prison was well worthwhile.
2: You mentioned one of the other things that he did was he named the other perpetrators. Were they ever brought to justice off the back of him telling the police who they were?
0: No, they wasn't. They wasn't. I think the CID put it to CPS. You know, they did a lot of... Uh, investigations on it and they'd even got the mobile phones in my house but because of the way the SIMS are registered they traced them back six months calls to put that phone in their hands and because I'd asked for deportation he was out of the country but he was willing to go and go as a witness but because he was out of the country then they, they said they didn't think they had much chance of him coming back and doing that. So no, it didn't happen.
2: Is there anything that we've not talked about, Claire, that you think is important for people to, to realise? I mean, you're a champion of restorative justice because it helped you uh, move forward uh, and made you realise that you could get something from that practice. But is there anything in the restorative justice or any of your experience that, that you want to end this on?
0: I would just say... If you do get offered restorative justice, I, I mean, it, it probably doesn't work for everybody. Everybody's personalities are very different. And what one person can cope with, another one can't. But for my personality, and it worked amazing. It worked amazing and I just can't say how good restorative justice does turn you around. And it definitely turned me around you know, and life still goes on, everything's good, you know, everything's normal, we have relapses now and again, but we're here to tell the story. And all I can say is me, by me going into that prison, if I've saved him from coming to your house, made him realise what the damage he's done, that's, that's worth it to me, that were worth that visit. If I've just saved one person out there from going through what I and my family had to go through, that is a job well done. That's that's the only thing I can say about it. And just everybody keep themselves safe. You know, don't take things for granted. You, it, things like what happened to me uh, don't happen to people like us. It's what you watch on television. In fact, there is a film on television it is literally the same scenario but doesn't happen to people like us that's what we think we take things for granted sometimes and well it it does you know so don't be complacent
2: well look thank you so much Claire for coming on and sharing your story with me for a second time and even
0: welcome and it's been lovely speaking to you
2: Thank you so much, Claire. And I wish you and and your son all all the best and obviously your husband and your family. But it it, it shows that you can come through these traumatic experiences. And even though it lives with you, you can move on.
0: Yeah, you have to move on. You have no choice in life. You have no choice in life. You Mm -hmm. have to move on. You have to keep soldiering on no matter how hard it gets. And it does get hard. Everyday normal life without trauma in it's hard. You know, so you just have to keep soldiering on. Everybody just keeps soldiering on. Whatever your problems are, you've just got to keep going.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you feel restorative justice is a process that you may benefit from, you can find contact links and more information about the process in the description of this podcast. And you can also find further information on my website, rafael-ro.com slash second chance. As Claire said, restorative justice is a powerful remedy that can help some victims move on from their experience. If you haven't already, please subscribe, share and follow us on social media at A Reporter on Instagram and Twitter or Second Chance by Raphael Rowe on Facebook. It would be great if you could rate and review this podcast on the platform where you listen to this podcast. This is also an independent podcast, so we need your support to keep it going. So if you want to sponsor or advertise on the show, please get in touch via email on the Raphael Rowe website. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva and me, your host, Raphael Rowe.